Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So in our house, many of your houses probably too, you, um, we, we rock this a lot, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, I, get no, I get no like percentage back, but I am like, you know, saying go buy one. Uh, um, it, it's great. And, and, you know, for kids, but I would even say, even for adults, don't even be ashamed if you're like, man, I just don't understand the Bible and uh, the big Bible, like the adult Bible is pretty intimidating. I, I mean, I, listen, I want you to know the Bible, and that's what I'm going to do today is teach you the Bible. But what I want is you to be wholly confident. Go by this and read this and start getting some basic knowledge of the stories if you're unfamiliar, because this is just a phenomenal uh, uh, way that she's crafted this um, for children's, uh, for the Bible. All right, so we're going to jump into a story, and you um, just, I don't know, kick off your shoes, get cozy, you know, whatever, uh, and we will get this story read. Oh, brother. All right, the young hero and the horrible giant. Listen to the story, boys and girls. God's people had some scary enemies, but the Philistines were the scariest of them all. And now the Philistines had come to fight them. And the Philistines had a secret weapon called Goliath. Goliath was a terrifying soldier and, worst of all, a giant. A giant so strong and so tall and so scary that no one had ever been able to fight him and live to tell the tale. So there they were, the Philistines standing on top of one hill and God's people standing on top of another. Every day, Goliath came out and shouted, send your best soldier to fight me. If he wins, we will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be my slaves. No one would speak. No one would move. Chickens, Goliath would bellow. Your God can't save you. I'll rip your heads off and have you on toast. His beady, greedy eyes glowered at them hungrily from his horrible helmet. As if any minute, he really might just gobble them all up. And he laughed his terrible laugh. Oh, ha, 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 ha. It boomed, echoing horribly all around the dry, dry valley. Here you go. See, you got on both sides, big old valley. There we go. Well, Goliath might as well just have been a green, slimy monster with three heads because God's people froze with fear. Their eyes glazed over and they turned deathly pale. They knew if someone didn't do something quick, if someone didn't save them, But God would do something. He would send someone to save them. Now David was the youngest son of Jesse, and his brothers were soldiers in the army. One day when David brought his brothers their lunches, he saw Goliath, and he saw how scared everyone was. Don't be afraid, David said. I'll fight him for you. Uh, You're only a little shepherd boy, the king said. And Goliath, he's, he's a great soldier. How will you fight him? God will help me, David said. So the king gave David his royal armor to wear, but it was too heavy and too big, and David couldn't even walk. I I won't need these, David said. Instead, David picked up five smooth stones from the stream. One, two, three, four, five. He took his slingshot, and he walked towards Goliath. Step, step, step. Oh, picture. There he is. Armor. There he is, picking his stones. All right. Goliath walked towards David. Thud, thud, thud. You? Goliath appeared down at the small boy. I'm little, David shouted up to him. But God is great. Goliath laughed even terribler than last time. <laughs> it went with just one swing of his giant sword, Goliath could finish the boy off. But David kept going. It isn't how strong you are or how many swords and spears that you have that will save you. It's God who saves you. 
This is God's battle, and God always wins his battles. David put a stone in the sling, swung it around, and let it go. The little stone flew like a bullet through the air and struck Goliath, thud, right between the eyes. Goliath stopped laughing. Oh, there he is. Look how big he is. He stumbled and staggered and crash, he fell dead. When the Philistines saw Goliath was dead, they ran away. And when God's people saw them running away, they cheered. God had saved his people, and David was a hero. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. Amen. Yeah, clap your hands for that story. So to talk about David and Goliath today, we're, we, we got to hit time out. And I want to say that we're not going to allow ourselves to just remain at a children's level of education of that story. That, that happened in chapter 17. Well, what happens before chapter 17? There's 16 chapters, right, that the author wrote before chapter 17. So that's a great story, but... What are we missing? And so what I want to do today is we're going to do it fast, and we're going to do it, but I am going to get to walk you, that's right, through all 16 chapters. Boom. Break right there. All right. Look at that. We'll get this. All right, so we've got some homework to do right now pretty fast, and we're going to do this. First Samuel is part of a big book. It's Samuel all together. First Samuel, second Samuel, okay? That's, that's one big book. It's just broken up when they copied it. They had to do it two different scrolls, so it got broken up. But that, that's all the difference is. And Samuel comes right after Judges. Now, a few, several weeks ago, uh, Brett did a series on Judges. It's online if you need to look it up and listen to it. Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, comes after Judges. It picks up where the story of Judges drops off. In our English Bibles, we've got Ruth in there, and that's a whole other thing. But uh, uh, the story of Samuel picks up where Judges leaves off. Now, I'm just going to give you some Bible facts, and I want to walk you through this. Like like I said, it'll be, you know, um, a little unusual to to do a sermon like this. You're not going to get your bullet points, okay? But I I just want to have, hopefully, fun today sharing the Bible with you. Because here's my goal, and here's my point. I I do have a point. Uh, I want you to understand that the Bible, it's awesome. Like, like we don't want to just say God is awesome just because that's what Christians say. I, I want to help you. I understand that you might not have read the Bible much or that, you, you know, your backgrounds are different, whatever. That, but when you read the Bible, when you read the 16 chapters before the 17 chapter, there's things that make sense and come alive. And when it comes alive, it, it does something to you it, because it reveals who God is. And so when we just limit it to one story, we miss out what the author inspired by God was trying to give us. So I want you to come up here with your cell phone if you need to, take a picture of this, whatever that helps you. But I want to walk through this, and then this week I'm challenging you, just camp out in 1 Samuel. Just read it. Just read it. You'll see amazing stories. Like, You'll get swept away into the story, and I want to help you get some understanding down, and then you take it, and now you can understand, and you go read and study it, okay? So here we go. Again, guys, I'm talking pretty quick this morning. I just, this is my passion. I I love preparing for this, and I want you guys to get it, and and I want it to transform you. There's a lot of transforming things that can happen if you take this to heart and seek God, and so let's do this. Come on. All right. Chapter one. Here we go. We we introduce people. Okay. So Elkanah. uh, Everybody say Elkanah. You guys are going to have to work fast with me here. Okay. And then we got Hannah. Everybody say, hey, Hannah. And then uh, um, Peninnah. Say Peninnah. Okay. So these are the two wives of Elkanah. Elkanah has two wives. Hannah 
can't have children. The Lord has closed her womb, okay? Now, this goes back to Genesis 3. I can't explain it all right now, but the barrenness is all part of a sin, okay? Now, Peninnah has many, many children. So every year when Elkanah would take his family up to go worship at the temple, he, when he would go up and take his two wives, um, Peninnah would be like this to Hannah. You can't have babies. You can't have babies. And I can. Ha ha. Take that. And Hannah would get so angry. She'd get provoked. The Bible says Peninnah would just know what buttons to push and get Hannah just flustered. So Hannah, it says, was greatly troubled in the spirit. And so what did she do? She went and prayed at the temple. And she was just praying and having it out with God. Give me a son. Please give me a son. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you in service to you, Lord, for all the days of his life. Just give me a son. Anyhow, she's going nuts at the, at the temple. So crazy that Eli comes on the scene. Everybody say, hey, Eli. Eli's the priest. And when he sees this chick, he actually walks up to her and says, yo, woman, like, how much wine are you going to drink? You're acting like a drunk fool here. Put the wine away. Stop drinking. She says, no, no, I'm not drinking. I'm troubled in the spirit. I just want a son. I want a son. I want a son. And she pleads. And Eli, I don't know if he's just trying to get rid of her or he was very, very serious, but he said, go in peace and may the Lord grant you your request. So Hannah comes home and she's thinking, oh, did I just get blessed? I think I did. I think I can do this. Elkanah, come on, get in the bedroom right now. And and I'm like, this, this is Stephanie and me every night. That's what she does. All right. So, so you just relate. You know what I mean? It's like crazy. Eyes, yeah, come on now. So, so Hannah gets in there, and yes, boom, she conceives, and she gives birth to a boy, and that boy's name is Samuel. And this is what this is going to be a key figure in all this whole story. And Samuel means heard of God, okay, one from God. Okay, so now we've got Samuel. What we find out, we've got themes starting to develop. Eli, we find out about his boys. Eli's boys are bad. They're priests as well, but they're taking people's offerings that they give, the, 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 the sacrificial animals, and they're taking it, eating, getting fat and satisfied off what's not theirs. The women that are working, they're having inappropriate relationships with them because they're married and they're having inappropriate. They're horrible disgrace to what the priesthood is. So the, the, the Bible is describing what Eli's boys are and then it's also describing how Samuel is growing up in the wisdom and the character of God because now when, when Hannah had Samuel, okay, and they would go, sac- uh, go to the temple and worship like every year, she left Samuel there with, with Eli and said, he's yours. He's for the Lord. I said I'd give him. He's yours. So every year when she comes back, she'd bring a nice new little white robe for him, kiss him on the cheek, and say, you know, honor the God, honor God. Eli says, Hannah, you're awesome. Man, I, I hope the Lord just blesses you with more kids since you gave up the one only kid you got, and bam, she got five more kids. So we understand that Eli has boys that are not good. They're in power, but not good. They're abusing the power they've been given. And we learn that Samuel is growing up in the wisdom of the Lord because he is by the temple and he's learning off Eli. Eli is a godly priest. It's just his sons are bad. So in chapter two, we, we read this beautiful prayer of Hannah. We're not going to do it right now. And I would tell you this week as you read, because I'm not going to have time to come back to it perfect world. I get through all this stuff, and then we come back and we read this prayer of Hannah in chapter 2, and it beautifully, the author is awesome, this prayer beautifully says the whole entire book wrapped up right in that one prayer. I mean, done in that prayer. It's beautiful, and it explains everything. So it's best to, like, just go through the whole book and then come back and read that prayer. You can do that this week because I'm not going to have time to come back to, to it. So in the beginning of chapter 2, Hannah prays, but at the end of chapter 2, Eli gets a messenger sent to him. And this is important. He says, Eli, you're really cool, you're really godly, but your sons, well, they, no no good. 
we're going to have to take care of this. This is going to be a sign to you that they're going to die. They're going to die in the same day. But they also said this to Eli. Man, cut your heart. He says, Eli, I'm disappointed because you have chosen to honor your sons above me. So no matter how godly Eli appeared, his fault was he had sons out of control that he did not do anything with. And he said, you indeed are choosing to honor your boys over me and my will. And so this will be a sign to you. You'll know you're going to die when you find out your two boys die. So here we have, let's just see if a theme is developing. We got the story of Hannah, humble, and what happens? God uses her to bring Samuel. Peninnah, arrogant with the blessings she received. We don't hear anything more about her. Okay, so God's going to maybe use the humble and not the arrogant. Well, let's see about this. Eli's sons, oh wait, they're arrogant, abusing the power they've been given. God's not going to use them. He just ended Eli's line. Like, your son's a priest, your son's a priest, your son's, no more. You, you've lost it. You're done. You're a sinner. You're like, no good. So Eli's boys, arrogant, boom, toast, they're gone. Now, uh, Samuel, humble, serving the Lord, at every day, seeking the Lord. Well, he's going to use him. So now we're starting to see what the author is already trying to do within the larger Bible, but then even within this story, how God is going to use people and what their attitudes are. And so that's how chapter 2 ends. We understand that Eli's boys are going to die as well as Eli. Now we get to chapter 3, and this is the call of Samuel. And this is beautiful. I I mean it. This, for personally, my own own life, you know, studying and and seeking God and stuff, my own, about the past couple years, I've been just hanging, hovering on this particular verse, and it comes out of 310. This is the call of Samuel, and Samuel is asleep, and he hears his name, Samuel, and he wakes up, and he goes to Eli. Think of like an internship. He's there with Eli, the priest. He goes to Eli and says, here I am. Eli says, I didn't call your name. Go back to bed. Samuel does it again. Here I am. I heard you call my name. I didn't call your name. Go back to bed. Okay, this happened the third time. Eli is like, oh, Samuel, pretty cool, man. No, that's not me. That's, that's God speaking to you. Just, just talk to God next time you hear it. So Samuel hears it again, and this is what I love, a, a, a prayer that you need to grasp. It just says, uh, 3.10, Samuel says, he hears his name. He says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Powerful beauty. I mean, just, yeah, we can spend a lot of time on that. We can't. Okay, so speak, your servant is listening. What a wonderful, beautiful thing. That's the tone of how Samuel is going to live his life. Model that. Model that. Okay, now we get to chapter 4, and 4 is when some crazy fun starts to happen, okay? These are battles. So you men, you're going to start getting slobbery, like all excited about this stuff. Battles. There's some death here, okay? It says the Philistines and the Israelites are, are in war. Now, we know they're in war because of our story, David and Goliath. You probably are familiar with Philistines and Israelites because they are at war when David crushes Goliath. But they're in war the whole time. And there are many, many battles. And so this first one opens up at chapter 4. It says, the Israelites and Philistines, they fought. And the Israelites had 4,000 lose their lives. 4,000 Israelites died. I don't remember that that statistic, you know, in my Sunday school class. But 4,000 have already died to the Philistines. This is bad. So the elders, it says the elders of the Israelites, they gather up and they're trying to figure out, Whoa, we just got smoked, 4,000 dead. What should we do? And as I read this, you know, if you guys, you know, when you read books, voices come into your head and you start to have this character, you know, development and all this stuff. And and I just, as they were standing around trying to think of what to do, like, man, how can we beat these people? What what can we do to overcome the Philistines? They just killed 4,000 guys. I feel like you had that, that, that guy, like, 
that annoying guy who like he's got the loud voice and just you know, 90% of the time he's always wrong, but every once in a while he's right, so he's, like, smart enough that you want to keep him around, but most of the time he drives you nuts, you know, he's like, hey, y'all, you know, hey, I got an idea, y'all. Um, I don't know why I'm shaking my hips, but I am. Uh, hey, I think I got an idea. I know how we can beat. I think if we go over there and get that Ark of the Covenant, I think we go whip some Philistine tail. And they look at him, they're like, and then they start talking again. They're like, hmm, actually, we're smelling what you're stepping in. That's a really good idea. Let's go get it. And so they go get the Ark of the Covenant, and they come back, and they're excited to have the Ark of the Covenant because they're like, yes, now we can go. The Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of God. We can go crush the Philistines with it. But here's the problem, people. They put their trust instantly into it, the Ark of the Covenant. There was no, God, we're yours, we're seeking you, we need you, what do we do? They try to fix it. What can we do? Oh, yeah, let's go get that. They get it, the Ark of the Covenant, and they think that will help them. And you and I do the same thing sometimes, okay? Christians, we're guilty of this. We, we, we grab things that appear to be holy, and we justify it, and we think, oh, this will make it better. I mean, like if, if you're a girl and you want to date or you want to get married so bad, you get a boyfriend and you say, well, he goes to church. Well, whoop-de-doo. Like, how is he as a man? Like, like, does he love Jesus, you know? And so it's like, but we try to think something might sound holy and uh, this, this will work. This is what I need. This, this will work. And it's like, no. No, so they put their faith in the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of God, but it's not God himself. God will only power it when he wants to. So they now take this Ark of the Covenant, and they cheer. They do a, the victory cry before the war. They say, "Woohoo!" The Philistines hear the cry, and they say, oh, no, God has come upon them. We can't fight them. And then they say, wait, they have a pep rally. Yeah, you can. Be men. Fight, fight, fight. We are not going to subject ourselves to the Hebrews. They're confident. They're scared. But now they've been confident. Now they're kind of getting scared. They go, boom, another big battle between the Philistines and Israelites. Bad, 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 bad day for the Israelites. 30,000 die of the Israelites. Remember when we said Eli's boys, the sign will be they both die on the same day? Not only did 30,000 die, but Phineas and Hophni, the, the boys, they both died in that battle. Not only that, but the Philistine captured the Ark of the Covenant. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Look what you did. You created an absolute mess trying to fix what you thought would be a good idea without seeking the Lord absolute mess. So here's what happens. It says a Benjamite runs back. He says, clothes are torn, dusty from the war, all the breakout. He, 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 he was able to make it out alive. He comes running back and tells the Israelites what's happened. And ah, loud cry. Oh, no. Now, Eli. Eli is sitting by the road, and he's blind, and he's 98, and he hears a loud cry. And he's already worried about what's going on. So the Benjamin, he's like, what, 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 what does that mean? And so the Benjamite comes to him. And again, you got to imagine this conversation. Eli, who has been godly and trying to show the way, Benjamite comes up and says, uh, Eli, um, well, so we, we lost. Um, we lost uh, 30,000 lives. Um, you know, kind of like nervous to tell the story. And Eli, oh, uh, yeah, Eli, um, sir, also, um, you, uh, you, you lost both your sons. They, they both died. Oh. Uh, sir, one other little detail. Um, well, the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, it, it got captured by the enemy, the, the Philistines. And it says, Eli, once he heard all this stuff, he's just like, oh, boom, gone. Like, just fell over backwards, which I'm kind of like, that, that's kind of the envious part. Because we've all had days where it's like you hear bad news, you hear bad news, something else goes wrong. And you're like, oh. and then sometimes you're just like, 
I'm closing my eyes. I just want it to all go away. And it's like Eli got his dream. He just went, boom, I'm gone. Like, I, I can't stand anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. But he died, okay? And so what happens is at the ch- close of chapter 4, we see another theme coming up, okay? Eli clan dies because of their they're not um, the priests like they should be. The ark is captured, but the ark is captured because they abuse the power they've been given. They think they can make the ark of the covenant do something that it can't without God. They don't trust God. So now we get to chapter 5, and we see what happens with the ark of the covenant. The Philistines bring Dagon, or brings the ark of the covenant to their temple, to their God, which is Dagon. Dagon is set up. He's half man, half fish. Weird God. Okay, now, they put the Ark of the Covenant right by that, and they're kind of prancing around like, our God's better than your God. We win. Our, our Dagon is better than the Ark of the Covenant, blah, blah, blah. They come in the next morning, and what do they see? They see that Dagon is falling over, like bowing down towards the Ark of the Covenant. But they just kind of scratch their heads and think, ah. And they pick up their God, set their God back up, and... Then they leave. The next morning, they come back in, and guess what happened? Dagon is falling back over, bowing before the Ark of the Covenant, but key, key uh, things happen. The hands have fallen off their God of Dagon, but the most important is the head has rolled off. The head has, has been uh, decapitated. So Dagon, we might hear a similar story later. Uh, so that, that, that story happens with Dagon in chapter 5, which really sets up some stuff that we'll get to. Now, 6, we got some milk cows. Hallelujah. Okay, in chapter 6, what happens is now that we see what's being done here is no one is more powerful than our God. Do not defy my God. That's what God's basically saying is don't, don't think you're more powerful than me. I will crush you. So so he does that and sets the key for do not defy God. So in chapter 6, you've got the Philistines now looking at this mess, and he's like, man, we got to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant. we got to get it out. So they get it out, and they move it, and they put it into a nearby city. And when, once they put it into that city, tumors and sickness come across all the people. They go, oh, let's get it to another city. Boom. Same thing happens. Tumors and sickness to all these people. They carry it to another city, and it happens again. They say, how can we get rid of this? I know. Let's get two milk cows, put a car on it, put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and let's just send it out of here. Get it out. Get it away. Because they start thinking, wait a second. Remember Pharaoh? Remember all the plagues that came to the Egyptians? <gasps> oh, no. We're going to get plagued. Let's, wait, wait, wait. Don't send that yet. Let's put a guilt offering on it. Maybe the Lord will heal us if we send it back with a guilt offering. Then they send the cows away, and they say, watch the cows. If it goes straight back, we know that it was God cursing us, and maybe he'll heal us. But if it just wanders around, then we'll know this is a weird coincidence. The Bible says the cows did not turn to the left or to the right, but they went straight back to the people of Israel. And so the ark is returned, and there is a great celebration, okay? So now we know that there's, uh, the ark is returned. Now when we get into chapter 7, and it says about 20 years later, Samuel is the leader. Samuel, good, 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 good guy. Samuel is the leader. They come to Samuel because the battle's still going on. I mean, there's always the, the you know, just talking and just they're, they're not free of the Philistines yet. So what do they do? They come to Samuel and say, Samuel, why, why can't we just be done with this? Why can't this agonizing, you know, thing over here just go away? And Samuel says, you really want to go there? Fine, let's go there. I'll tell you why you can't get rid of it. And in 7.3, he just starts to light them up. He just says, here's the deal. If you really want to return to the Lord with all your heart, then return with all your heart. Rid yourselves of all the foreign gods that are among you and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Black and white, so simple. Come back to the Lord with your whole heart. Get rid of everything false among you 
and God will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Simple. But that's kind of like with us today. It's like, well, you call yourself a Christian, but there's a majority of your life that isn't Christian. And so it's like, man, no, like, and there's always something agonizing and out there. And it's like, why can't this ever go away? Just kind of sharing it. It's like, what in your life is not honoring God? You say you want to follow God with your whole heart, but you're not. There's junk in your camp you got to get rid of. So Samuel lays it straight. And they, they accept it. They say, okay, let's do it. So they got together and did a little ceremony. They gathered water. They poured it out, signifying we pouring out our repentance. We confess our sins. God, we want you. Samuel is being a great leader right now, leading them through this process. And what happens? As they gather up and they're having all this, the Philistines hear them. And they're like, come on, let's, let's, let's get going again. The Philistines want a piece. So the Israelites now say, Samuel, you better pray because we're, we're going to go fight now. And Samuel says, it's okay, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a sacrifice. And he gets a lamb, and he sacrifices a lamb. And at that time, God sends great thunder that stirs up the Philistines and scares them. Boom, Israelites come and demolish them, crush them. So what do we learn? We learn that when you use power the right way, when you seek God and you, and you humble yourself and you just look to him, God will fight his battles, and he will win them. And, and the people understand this. So after that happens, Samuel says, hey, guys, listen up. Here is a stone called Ebenezer. This means stone of help. It's the Lord has brought us this far. Don't forget the Lord wins battles. The Lord does this. He delivers us. So he puts the stone of Ebenezer there, and then it's a beautiful ending, and chapter 7 uh, closes. But I do want to uh, read 7.12 for you. Oh, no, never mind. That's Ebenezer. Just if you can see, there's some verses in here that you guys can check out, just key points or whatever. But Ebenezer, and that's how chapter 7 ends. So it feels like, yeah, we're getting it. We've got it. Now, Chapter 8, though, this is a turning point in the whole Old Testament history, okay? This is where it goes from judgeship to kingship. And this is a major, major, major chapter if you're looking at, like, the history of the Old Testament, okay? Which I'm sure many of you are. Uh, so what happens in this, what happens in this uh, chapter is Samuel has grown old. And so the people come to him and they say, Samuel, you're getting, you're getting old. We want you to get a king for us. And we want to start being ruled by a king. And, and Samuel, you might as well just st- took a knife and stabbed him in the heart. It displeased him greatly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, because here's, here's the deal. Samuel was anti-king because he says this, you want a king why? Don't you remember Ebenezer? He's our king. He's the one that's delivered us. Why do you, you're already forgetting this. Why do you want this? Well, in chapters, uh, six through, or chapter 8, 6 through 9, it says this. When they said, give us a king, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, Samuel, listen. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they're rejecting, but They're rejecting me as their king. As they have done from the day I've brought them out of Egypt until this day, they forsake me. They serve other gods, so they're going now to do this to you. So I'll tell you what, because I'm good and gracious, listen to what they say and give them what they want, but tell them what a king is going to recommend of them. And that was Samuel's thing. Samuel came to the people and said, God's good. He's going to give you this. But listen, it's going to be bad. The king's going to take this and this from you. It's not good. We have a good king. Why do you want a king and man? And they say a horrific thing. In chapter 8, verse 19, this is heartbreaking. It says, after Samuel explained this, they said to Samuel, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel's like, 
That's the whole point. Don't be like all the other nations and have a false setup. Don't be like all the other nations. For you and me, the temptation of the world is so strong to try to be what the world wants or what the world picks, uh, paints as a, as a successful life and what it looks like. It's such a strong temptation. But this breaks the heart. And so Samuel is just left brokenhearted. They fail to remember that God is the one that delivers and, and so forth. So then we get into 9 and 10. And 9 and 10, it just becomes all about Saul. Saul becomes the king, okay? And Saul is blessed by God. God goes ahead and says, okay, you're going to do this kingship thing? Well, here's what I'm telling you. I'm going to go ahead and let Saul, by his hands, you will be delivered from the Philistines. Do you hear that? Like, you will be delivered from the Philistines by Saul's hand. This is huge. You, you got to remember that. So then they, they start chanting, long live the king, long live the king. And they're uh, jacked up about Saul. Now, Saul then goes, uh, and he's made king. He's anointed. And then in chapter 11, we see a pretty cool thing. Saul is actually does kind of everything good. He rescues the city of Jabesh. And he uses his power correctly. Here's what we need to know about Saul, because this affects David and Goliath. Saul hears dysfunction going on between uh, this city, is, is talking bad about city of Jabesh. And what does he do? He gets so angry, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He starts cutting up his oxen, and he sends them to his people. And he says, if you don't come to battle with me, I'm going to do this to your oxen. Everybody showed up. And everybody got in a rally cry. They went and they saved the city of Jabesh. Now, here's what's important. Because Saul got mad at, at injustice. Saul wanted to take care of it, and he did. He led the troops to do it. But back here, when Saul was made king, there were a few people who said, we don't want Saul to be king. Well, after he was an all-star at this those people were like, hey, who are those people who said they don't want Saul to be king? Bring him out here. I'm going to kill him. And Saul, Saul came out and said, no, stop it. The Lord won the battle for us. Everything that the king was supposed to do, he went out and fought. He pointed to God. He was humble. He uses his power. He points to God. It's beautiful. Well done, Saul. But then we get, so then that leads us to chapter 12. But chapter 12 is just a beautiful chapter in itself, and it's Samuel's farewell speech because he says, guys, here's the deal. I'm still not buying into this king thing you, you still, because he knows ultimately what kingship leads to. And he says, I'm not, I'm not happy with it. He even says this. Saul's right there. Saul's hearing this. And he says, Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your forefathers up out of Egypt. Like, let me remind you of your history. And then he even says right here, now you stand there because I'm going to confront you with all the evidence before the Lord as to the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your fathers. And then he went through the list and he just told the story of this is what you're walking away from by not declaring God as your king but having a human king. And then the, the, the whole speech is beautiful. It, 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 it's historical. It's encouraging. And then he comes down and he says this. The people say, oh, no, oh no, Saul, we have done it. We, we've done an evil thing. We, we've, we've picked a, a king. And Saul says, yes, you have. Or Samuel says, yes, you have. There's going to be rain that's about to fall right now to prove I'm right, that you're, you're wrong for doing this. The rain comes. So the people are like, okay, Samuel. Please, we're sorry we've done all this evil. What can we do? And Samuel, down in chapter, like, verses 20, uh, around verse 20 in chapter 12, he starts to talk. And he says, wait, don't be afraid. You have done evil. We've done evil. You have done evil. But listen, don't turn away from the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away after empty things. They can do you no good. They can't rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And then he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with your heart. Consider, remember what great things he has done for you. 
If you persist in doing evil, you and your king will, will wipe away. So here's what we have. We say, don't chase empty things. Remember, it's God who delivers. But if you serve God with your whole heart and remember that, God will deliver you. And so he gives them great encouragement. And then chapter 13, it just starts to all come apart for Saul. Saul starts to act foolish. The Bible says you're doing a foolish thing, Saul. Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to provide the sacrifice. Saul was not supposed to provide a sacrifice. He waited. Saul didn't come, and he just did it. And Saul just went ahead and offered the sacrifice. Big no-no. Instantly, God said, you're done. Your, your, your line of, of, of sons, you are not going to be the king anymore. Like, like the son, your your um, history is done with you. And so now we're getting into echoes of what happened to Eli's boys, of when there's bad, your line ends, your, your family line ends. So now Saul understands, oh, I've ruined the kingdom line after me. It won't endure. Because he wrongly used his power, he was arrogant. He wasn't humble. He was arrogant, and he tried to do the sacrifice himself. Bad mistake. And then in chapter 15, in chapter 15, we just get straight up ugly. I mean, dishonest. Saul is told by God, go defeat the Amalekites. And when you go defeat them, slaughter everything, which kind of sounds gross. But, I mean, God listed everything, like everything, children, Moms, dads, families, all of the Amalekites, they all have to go. All the sheep, all the cattle, all the donkeys, everything. Get rid of it. I am with you. Saul goes, and he does most of it. But what he did, it was he kept the good sheep, the good cattle, the good donkeys. He kept stuff for him and his men. A complete bold-faced lie to God about what he did. Now, just for some of you who are familiar with Joshua, this is a lot like Achan's sin in Joshua 7. Anyhow, so this, this big sin that, that Saul did, listen, the Lord says, I regret I made him king. Samuel says, Samuel says, well, God, what? You, you regret you made Saul king? Samuel's broken. Samuel's weeping, and Samuel's thinking, Okay, I'll, I'll go talk to Saul in the morning, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this fixed. We, we got to get this right. Samuel goes out and looks for Saul the next morning. He's like, where's Saul? And they're like, oh, he's out. He's out. He, he went to build a monument for himself. Samuel just falls to his knees. What? A monument to himself? What about Ebenezer, the monument that says God delivers? Now you're building a monument that says, look at me, I'm awesome. What are you thinking, Saul? Now you are completely arrogant and the power is getting to your mind. And now you are totally, totally just lying about what it means to be a king for the Lord Almighty. And Saul simply turns to empty things. What Samuel poured his heart out in chapter 12, don't turn to empty things. We see Saul completely turn to an empty thing, a statue of himself. It's like, bro, you're a head taller than everybody. That's what got you to be king by your people. You, you aren't all that. And it's like, you really are going to let all this go because of, so this is a heart, heart, heart break for Samuel and for God's people. And so then we get into 16, and I'm going to let you, you know, read most of 16. But 16 is about David, how David is picked, and no one would pick David. You know, I mean, David had nothing that would draw you to him to pick him to become a king. Um, kind of similar to the whole beginning story of Hannah. Hannah, in humility, was able to uh, born, give birth to Samuel, who would do great things. So it is with David now in chapter 16. He gets picked. He's just a humble dude who knows the Lord. He plays his harp. He's a shepherd boy. He's got a relationship with God. And God says, this is what I want. This is what I want my king to look like. If we're going to have a king, if you're going to have a king, it'd be this guy. So David gets selected. Now, David comes out, brings the, the lunches to his brothers who are fighting the battle. And that's when David, and now we're back into the story of David and Goliath. David hears what Goliath says. He's defying the God of Israel. 
And for David, he shows us everything that a leader should do. If a Philistine was talking like that for, if you have read this book for 16 chapters, you would, your first thing when you hear Goliath say that is, where is Saul? What? In chapter 8, you said you wanted a king who would go out and fight your battles. Saul had the experience in chapter 11 of go in the name of the Lord and you will be delivered. Where is Saul? Why is Saul not trying to go out and fight this Goliath? Because Saul has forgotten. Saul has forgotten everything that has happened. And he's, he's turned to empty things, he, trying to trust in himself. And he's scared of the giant Goliath. David completely shows us everything opposite of that. When David says, I'll fight him, and Saul says, well, I don't think so, buddy. He, David is quick to remember, well, the Lord has delivered me from the lion, and he's delivered me from the, the, the bear. I, I've wrestled a lion and bear, and the Lord has delivered me. And by the way, I'm a student of Samuel, just like you, Saul, just like everybody is. We know what Samuel's been preaching our whole life, and I am crazy enough to believe it. I am crazy enough to think the story of Samuel where he says, speak, your servant is listening. I believe that that's going to happen, and that's what I've been doing my whole life. And I remember all the battles that you've won, and I remember Ebenezer. It says, remember the Lord your God. So Saul, yeah, I'm remembering everything, which gives me confidence. I can go out there, and I can take this giant down. Yeah, I might die, but no, I'm confident today I'm going to win this. So now this is an important thing. When David decides to go, then he starts to put on Saul's tunic, right? And he puts on his armor. And David takes them off because it says in vain he tried to go in these. But then he quickly realized, I think he remembered, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to try to be somebody I'm not. I'm not going to put my hope in something, armor, no, no, get it off me. I'm not even comfortable in that. I am choosing to be who I am. God has made me. He's given me gifts with a sling. That's what I got, but I'm really good at it. And so I'm just going to go fight this guy with what I've been given. What a freeing message for us all to embrace and hang on to. If you would just stop trying to put on somebody else's armor and just be yourself and go with the gifts and talents God has given you. So David gets this and says, yeah, man, I've got the slingshot and I've got uh, the that my stones, this is what I'm comfortable with, but I've also got a history of how God works, and I know him, and, and, and I believe in him. And so he goes. Then they start trash talking, right? Goliath says, you know, who are you to come at me against so, against so many, you know, you're, you're so small and I'm so big. Who are you to, to come against me? And, and David just, uh, you know, starts to talk trash right back. And when he does, I just kind of love it. Like, well, I love talking trash, right? My family, my home, we've got my boys. They, they love to talk trash. And uh, especially my number three one, Malik. Malik, uh, he's, he's got a mouth on him. And w- one of the things that he will always talk trash to is if you're around him long, you're going to hear him say, uh, you play ball like a girl. And, and that comes from watching The Sandlot, like nonstop, you know, in the summer when they get their, their good wars going on in that movie, such a classic. And that, that, that big final line, you play a ball like a girl, you know, we've really hyped that up in our house, like, oh, you say that, 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 that it's on. And so he just comes out with his ace a lot of times, you play ball like a girl. Well, one day, I got to tell you the story, because it's just, so Stephanie is loading the boys up in the van, and the van is parked, and that side door is open, and that's where Malik sits. And the side doors open. Well, our stairs to the front porch are like right there. And the mailbox is right here. So the mailman always, you know, walks in between the van and the stairs pretty tight and puts the mail in, walks out. Well, this particular day, Stephanie had just loaded up all the boys. And she ran inside just for, you know, real quick to get the next thing. And in that perfect timing, the mailman came up and walked. And that van door slid open. And Malik's just sitting there looking at him, and uh, so Malik just looks at him, and he's putting the mail in, he says, what are you looking at, pickle face? (laughs) 
was like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure the mailman's probably never been called that. He's probably been called a lot of things, but not that. So he's just ready to talk trash. So I can just see David. You know what I mean? Like, hey, come on, pickle face. Uh, so David approached. Don't worry. We, we put vinegar in that kid's mouth all the time. So, <laughs> so David is there before Goliath. And, and David, I just love this, guys, because it, it, it goes again. The importance and the beauty of this story comes back to all this. And David says, I think, I think, this is my interpretation, okay? But I think David is just saying, speak. Your servant is listening. And that was David's cry his whole life. And that's what kept him doing the things. And that's what maybe propelled him to just say, yes, I've got the Lord of all powerful with me, I will do this. And as he started to sling that shot, and bam, the Goliath comes down. And then what happens next? David runs up, takes a sword out, and just slashes his head off and holds up his head. The Philistines have got a bunch of urine and nasty stuff running down their legs like, oh, no. Okay, and then they say, Oh, we should have seen this coming. Chapter 5, Dagon. The, oh, he bowed down and his head rolled off in front of the Ark of the Covenant. God was showing, I will decapitate your face if you come against me. And, and David shows the people, poof, there he is, the head, the head, done, and it's done. Now, listen, guys. The Bible has many, many stories, and they all reveal stuff. So just don't limit your reading to just one story all the time, okay? Make sure you read everything, because this just brings all the beauty out, and it makes it go somewhere. And the, the, the more deeper it goes, the more transforming power it has in your life, because you understand our God is awesome, and it is Him who delivers. Don't Put your hope in empty things. Do not turn to the left or to the right from the Word of God. These are the stories that are so beautifully painted for you and me throughout the Old Testament. Read it. Camp out here this week and read for Samuel. 